Prodigious Leadership Podcast is crafted to create leadership solutions for the incubation, nurturing, and growth of dreams all around. This podcast was conceptualized out of a desire to challenge convention and indifference in leader spaces and to deliberately set them up for a vibrant and formidable future. We are about challenging boundaries and setting up new ones. Today on the Prodigious Leadership Podcast, we have Nozi Poshabalal. Nozi Poshabalal is a conversation strategist moderating global conversations that are designed to have measurable outcomes. She is in demand for her unique and insightful ability to facilitate difficult conversations with courage, depth, and breath. As an internationally acclaimed conference moderator and human capital advocate for the World Bank and Global Citizen, she has successfully moderated conversations for global and African institutions, including leading listed and unlisted multinational corporations, business schools and civil society organizations that seek to leverage conversations for change. Nozip was also an award-winning financial markets broadcaster, lifting the African business story through the lens of leadership, performance, the political economy, development finance, gender mainstreaming, and youth development. Nozip was an executive director at LRMG, a faculty member for Duke Corporate Education in Africa, a fellow of the Gordon Institute for Business Science Center for African Management and Markets, a Tutu Fellow, and in 2019 was named as one of the most top 100 influential young Africans, and most recently as one of the top 100 most influential young South Africans. She is an alumna of the following academic institutions, Sid Business School, Oxford, University of London, Stellenbosch Business School, University of Pretoria. Enjoy. We can all come up with visions, right? You can all come up with big visions. But what is going to separate good leaders from poor leaders is how do you then get people to shift and to, to bring that vision to life? And I think it's a couple of things. You call them principles. I might call them, you know, um, um, levers for execution. I think the first thing is that people must first be inspired by the vision. So you can come up with the greatest vision, but if people aren't inspired by it, you're probably going to have a, you're going to have difficulty getting them to buy in and to do the work. Good people, welcome to another uh, rendition and episode of the Prodigious Leadership Podcast. Nozip, I'm so glad to have you on today. We were actually having a conversation before this and, and, and I told her that in the midst of our conversation, it sparked the first question that I wanted to ask her. But other than that, how are you? I hope you're well. How are things going on your side? Yeah, I'm very good. Um, I think uh, just trying to figure out what's my strategy for um, the rest of the year, um, I can slowly feel the fatigue setting in. So I'm having to be a lot more deliberate about taking breaks. And I think that's because we've been traveling so much again. You know, I've been traveling hectically. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I'm just a little bit more conscious about managing my time and my energy so that you finish strong. My, one of my biggest beliefs is you don't just start strong. That's never good enough. You've got to finish strong as well. And I want to make sure that I finish strong this year. I love that. Where would you say your your idea of finishing strong stemmed from? Where did you get that from? What where would you say you've learned that principle of philosophy from? Yeah, it's a beautiful question. So there's this guy. His name is John uh, Stephen Aquari, and you can actually look him up on YouTube. And it's a story of what he did in 1986. Uh, and if I've got it wrong, it's 68. But it's either 86 or 68. 
So what happens is that John um, Stephen Aquari, uh, he's from uh, Tanzania and he's been sent to the Olympics um, and he has to run the, um, the ultra marathon at the Olympics. And it's the last, it's the last activity uh, of the Olympics. And so typically um, it's the one thing that, although we'll start with a lot of people in the stadium, people start leaving because it's the absolute last thing. And when he started the race, he started really strong with everybody else. And as he was running, he actually got caught up in a scuffle and he, he fell and dislocated his shoulder and also hurt his knee. Now, the guy had every single reason to drop out of the race at that point. Um, but he decided that, no, he was going to keep on running. But he didn't stand a chance against the guys that weren't injured. So, no, he didn't come first. He didn't come second. He didn't come third. He didn't come in the top 10. In fact, when the second last person crossed the finish line, people started leaving the stadium because they couldn't even see John Stephen Aquari. Like, he was nowhere near uh, where they are. But those who knew that he was there, including the journalists, were now very intrigued to see, like, is this guy really going to finish the race? Is he really going to see this through, despite the fact that we saw him being injured? And a long time after the second last person crossed the finish line, about two hours later, the guy hobbled over the finish line. So one of the journalists went up to him and they said, dude, like, you could have just quit at any point. You know, you didn't really have to do that. Everybody can see how injured you are. And he said, you know what? My country sent me 5,000 miles not to just start a race. They sent me here to finish a race. And so starting is important, but finishing strong is even more important. And I've never forgotten that story. And it's a true story, by the way. So I, 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 I buy into that mindset that um, I must make sure that I'm a finisher and that I don't, I'm, I'm not really only good at really starting things, but that I have the discipline of getting the job done as well. I love that. Both, both components require a degree or a measure of faith. Starting requires faith. To start by faith, you're starting or you're venturing into a particular thing in which you're not sure how the outcome will be. Secondly, finishing also requires faith because you're moving towards something in which you don't even know the outcome as well, right? Both equally to the same degree. But the point that I'm trying to make is um, the concept or the principle of finishing strong doesn't even have to only be tailored within um, the concept, the, the context of a year. It can also be looked at the context of your life, right? And we're speaking to leaders, we're speaking to leaders on this platform. How do you think a leader can get into a posture and a position in their life where they consider um, how the end is going to look like? Um, I've heard this somewhere, I think it was Darius Daniels who said it's that when you start something, you have to begin with the end in mind. Same goes for your life. If you know that you have a valuable purpose to discharge to the world, how do you put yourself in a position as someone who's gifted or who's a leader who's watching this? How can they get into a position where they say, this is how I want my end to look like? Yeah. Yeah, I love that. And maybe just a quick comment on that is that I think sometimes we, we leave thinking about legacy too late. We kind of like think, okay, I need to, I need to think, I need to achieve so many things first. I first need to have made it uh, professionally. I need to have a particular position. I need to have um, a certain bank balance um, in order for me now to start thinking about my legacy. 
and we almost leave the legacy conversation or the legacy invitation to the second half of our lives, you know, when we hit 50 plus. And I really think that's oftentimes a missed opportunity and a missed invitation to living purposefully. Um, if you're constantly thinking about what do you want to, what mark do you want to leave in the world? You don't have to wait until you're 50 to do that. You can really be intentional about how you live your life um, even now and your legacy will take care of itself. Um, and I, so I, I, I always laugh when I see, you know, elderly leaders suddenly talking about what is my legacy. And I'm like, well, you can't, can't build a legacy in, the, in, in extra time. You know, you build a legacy throughout the season based on how you've been showing up in every game and kind of hoping that the legacy is taking care of itself. So I love that thinking as well. I, I, I once learned that an inheritance is what you leave for somebody, a legacy is what you leave in somebody. How could you speak to leaders and tell them to prioritize leaving value, substance, and significance in people rather than the focus being solely on the acquiring, the obtaining of things that they're going to leave behind eventually? Yeah, it's such a beautiful question. And, you know, for me, it's both and, right? I think as a, a Black woman, uh, inheritance is important. You know, we, you know, in some parts of the world, um, women are still struggling with uh, getting uh, in land inheritance uh, because some of the common laws or the traditional laws where they come from still say that uh, land can only be inherited by sons to the extent that a woman might lose her family's land to her husband because he's a man. So inheritance is important, especially when it comes, when it can be used as an instrument of redress. But I think you're absolutely right that it is, um, it's more than just the inheritance. It's definitely about the legacy and what you leave inside a person that matters most. I, I once came across something that I found so fascinating. I was doing work for one of my banking clients and we were talking about uh, intergenerational wealth. And we had a wealth expert uh, on the panel. And this wealth expert was talking to us about something called the family constitution. And I had never heard of a family constitution. So I was like, what is that? So it turns out a family constitution is a legal, um, it's not legally binding, but it's a document that, li that lives gen through the generations in a particular family. And it guides how that family is going to make money and how that family is going to share money. So it, it, it would say, for example, in this family, we are backers of pioneers. So any business that is pioneering, whether it be in the telco space or whether it be um, in the pharmaceutical space, if it meets these particular criteria, um, through our philanthropic efforts as a family, we're going to invest in those kind of businesses. And, and originally, the family constitution was about making sure that the next generation kind of keeps within the same um, thrust and focus when they're thinking about how to spend the money that they've inherited. But after a while, what they learned is that it was more than just a, an investment document that guides investment, but it became a constitution through which you were able to pass down family values to say, this is what this family values. And as a result of that, these are the actions we will take around that. And I find that like such a practical way of leaving legacy um, that is also bound in how do you then handle inheritance? So I think it's a, it's a question of, uh, or the answer to it is both. And inheritance is important. I think legacy is even more important. 
the passing down of values, the passing down of mindset, the passing down of posture in the world, the passing down of um, non-financial assets um, are all very important, but we've got to do both. And when there's an instrument that straddles both worlds, I get very excited. I love it. I love it. I love it. I get very excited too, because it's, it's transformational leadership. It's both personal and it's both the development where leadership is concerned. And as you spoke about that, the concept of the family constitution, that put me also in, in, in a space where I had to think somebody who had to think of such a um, de development is somebody who thinks ahead, not only thinks ahead, but sees ahead as well. And the ability to see ahead is not natural because what you see with your current eyes is that which reality is reflecting to you. So that would have to be somebody who thought ahead, meaning they had a particular vision for their family. Would you say vision is an important principle where leadership is concerned? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I think there was a time in sort of uh, leadership literature, if I can call it that, where vision was the most important thing. But what we're learning, and I think, you know, the pandemic has given us so many lessons. What we're also learning is that vision is important, but also the courage to change direction away from that particular vision is equally important. Yes, to pivot, right, is mm -hmm. equally important. So to be able to, I think it's one thing to be able to get people to buy into a particular vision, but I think it's even harder to get people to, to now buy into something else. So you've sold a particular vision and life has changed. The environment has changed. The circumstances have changed and you've got to pivot and you've got to do differently. How do you, how do you transition people from one vision to the next? How do, you, how do you build such trust amongst people who see you as a leader that, that there's enough relational trust for them to believe that the vision where we were going that you have enough wisdom as a leader to be making the decision that we've got to go a different direction now. So it is, vision remains important, but I think the courage to pivot, to change direction, to discard and disband in a vision that is no longer relevant for where we find ourselves mm. is even more important. Um, my husband likes to, uh, likes to say that um, when the terrain has changed, why, is, why are you still holding the same old map? And I just think, you know, that's such a powerful way of, of, of thinking about the significance of pivoting as a leader and being able to keep your people, um, keep your people behind the, the emerging vision. And sometimes it's really emerging, right? Because you don't always have the clarity of where you're going. Think about leading organizations through the pandemic right now. Not everybody knew you know, as they were changing their business models, what would this look like? How would this land? How would this be received? And so you're working on an emergent vision. And so how do you get the buy-in and support into something that's not yet fully visible, but, that some, that, but you have so much faith in it coming into fruition? And I think that's the leadership invitation of our time. It's agility. And it's being, being able to be agile even in the building and, and the selling of your vision. Mm, I love that. Your voice is so valuable and your thoughts are, are 
very substantial as well. I love that. The, you spoke about agility, but you also spoke about the courage to pivot, which brings me to something in which John C. Maxwell once said that leaders, that people first buy into the leader and then they buy into the vision, right? So, um, and we see that now, people first buy into the leader and then they buy into the vision. So what would you, because you mentioned something about wisdom. You said a leader has to be able to have the wisdom to know when it's time to pivot, when it's time to do things differently. So what would you say um, is the definition of wisdom according to mm. your knowledge? Sure. So I think there's two questions in there, right? So I'm going to come to the definition of wisdom, but I want to actually put a controversial view on the table about following the leader versus following the vision, right? Um, I think for too long, we've made the mistake of following the leader. Absolutely. Instead of following the vision, yeah. right? Because if you really think about it, um, good visions outlast any leader. And I think part of, if we think about our country, I think sometimes part of what's wrong with our country is that we follow the leader instead of following the vision. Imagine if, as South Africans, we were all to say, this is the South Africa we want to build irrespective of whether we have President X or President B or President C or President D, this is the South Africa that we're going to build. So we buy into the vision. The leader becomes the, the captain at the helm of showing us the direction on how to get there. But we don't change the vision every time we have a new captain, right? And I think, I think it's a fundamental mistake that we've made. Um, I think we make it in the political space. I think we make it in corporate. And in fact, I've only heard one thought leader who's, who, who's almost in line with what my, my, this, what I'm proposing, that it's vision before leader. And that's Jim Collins. And Jim Collins says that um, leadership is, he, he called it level five leadership. He says a level, and so you can imagine there's different layers. There's level one all the way through to level five. So I don't know all of them, but I know level four is the leader was a really good manager, as an example. Mm. Level five, a level five leader, he says, is a leader who's able to get people to buy into a vision mm. that is bigger than him or herself. Love it. Because should he leave or should she leave, the vision continues notwithstanding. And I think part of the weakness of leadership is that we make it about ourselves. We don't make it about the cause that is greater than ourselves. So that's just the one thing I wanted just to, to put on the table to say, actually, it needs to be, vision needs to be bigger than the leader because the leaders will change. Um, you know, one of the things we speak about as Africans, we talk about Agenda 2063, which is the Africa we want. It's the vision for the Africa we're trying to build in 2063. Now, what I, what I find encouraging about that is that it doesn't matter who is the president of the African Union this year or the next year or the next year or the year after that. Vision to Agenda 2063 is Agenda 2063. And mm. that's not changing. And I wish we could, I wish we could distill that into our national um, leadership um, structures and how we think about leadership. Now, you asked me a second question. You said, what is my understanding of wisdom? I think it's a really good question. I don't think everybody's ever asked me that. I think wisdom is more than just knowing. I think it's more than just knowing 
what needs to be done and by whom and how. I think wisdom is also about how do you bring your gut into the decision-making and how do you trust your gut and know that it's almost like an innate thing to say, I might not have the, all the data that proves that this is the right decision to, to take or this is the right pathway that we should go down. But my gut and my experience, what I've seen, what I've heard, the rooms that I've been in, the rooms I've been locked out of, all of those things, when they come together, give me the wisdom to say, this is the direction that we need to go. So it's more than knowledge. I think it's something very primal, but it's also about trusting that primal thing. When your gut says, no, I know the data is saying that, but actually we're going to do that instead. Wisdom is being able to listen to that and listen to the data, hold them up together side by side and still be able to make the best decision in the moment. I love that. You spoke about the five levels of leadership. Um, and yeah. then you, you, you went into the fifth level of leadership, which is um, by definition, pinnacle leadership, right? So, so how do we get into a place as a leader whereby people hear the vision in which we've established or people hear about the, 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 the vision or the imagery or the reality in which you said this will make the world a better place and they want to buy into that, right? I love also how you shifted it. You said we've got to buy into the vision and because the vision is important, we have to establish the vision. So I've got a question for you. We buy into the vision, right? But how do we get into a place where we say that <laughs> this is the vision, right? But what are the principles that need to be established to fulfill the vision, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Because that way we have structure, that way we have order, that way we have credibility, where the fulfilling of the vision is concerned. So what are the principles that we need to put in place to reach the vision? And I guess that's where the personal leadership thing comes in because a leader comes and says, I will be able to help you move from this place towards the vision, right? Because leaders are just transportation. They transport people from one place to another place, right? A leader comes and says, I'm willing to move you guys from here to here. How do we then measure the, 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 the character integrity, the posture of that leader to be worth moving people from one place to this vision that we have to buy into, particularly even in a South African context. Let's bring it home. Okay. So big question, right? So I'll tell you um, what I'm hearing. So I'm hearing a couple of questions in there. So the first one is, um, how do we move from the vision to the execution, right? So what are the things or the attributes that allows that allow a leader to move because remember the principles are actually they are principles of execution it's it's about how is this vision going to come to life so what are the what are the underlying things that allow us to do that but i want to start here and i don't know why we feel i feel like we're having a conversation about jim collins today but jim collins says the difference between good leadership and bad leadership is that the good leader gets the job done and for me that's really powerful, even in its simplicity, because what it suggests is that we can all come up with visions, right? You can all come up with big visions. But what is going to separate good leaders from poor leaders is how do you then get people to shift 
and to, to bring that vision to life. And I think it's a couple of things. You call them principles. I might call them, you know, um, um, levers for execution. I think the first thing is that people must first be inspired by the vision. So you can come up with the greatest vision, but if people aren't inspired by it, you're probably going to have, a, you're going to have difficulty getting them to buy in and to do the work. I think beyond being inspired, they need to own it. They need to feel that this vision is true in their lives, that if they do this, there's direct benefit to their lives, um, that there is there's direct positive impact in their lives. And so you, they, you must, they must want to do um, what needs to be done to execute the vision. So we start off with, they must be inspired. Two, they need to feel that they own this vision, that this is for them. It's important for them. It's not about the leader. It's important um, for them. And then the third thing I think is the stuff that's not, um, it becomes a little bit difficult. They, it's, a, it's mindset stuff. They need to be, we need to be in a collaborative mindset. So the people need to be open to collaborating. So there's a beautiful reading by um, a, a guy called Bill Shaw, and it's called the Cathedral of Milan. And it speaks about basically how this cathedral, which is actually real in Italy, was built over 500 years. And the only way this thing was built generation after generation coming in and doing their bit is everybody felt, one, they were inspired by what they're building, Two, they believed that this was for them as the city of Milan. Three, they were collaborative in their efforts. So everybody brought what they had. So it's really important as leaders that we, 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 we architect and engineer visions where people can see their role in it. They can see themselves like, actually, as a bricklayer, that cathedral is not going to go up without me. So you've got to see yourself in the thing that you're building. If you're building a, 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 an African economy that you're calling a digital economy, yet half of your population um, is sitting on the other side of the digital divide and they don't see themselves in the vision that you're painting, it's going to be very difficult for them to even step up collaboratively and say, this is what I have to offer. So we've got to write people into our um, stories of those visions so that they can step up collaboratively and come with their respective strengths and give. The last bit, I think, is discipline. And this is the one I think we don't all like, you know. It's, 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 it's the discipline of then doing your piece. You can't build a whole cathedral by yourself. You can't um, deliver on Agenda 2063 as one man. You can't deliver on an, a South African economy as, 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 as one person. You actually in that moment, need to understand that you're not only collaborating, but you're doing the best way, the best job you can within the, the sphere of influence where you are. So we all do the best we can where we are. So those four principles for me would be inspiration, number one, ownership, um, number two, collaboration, number three. And the last one we said was, um, um, what did we say? We said inspiration, um, oh, we said discipline. It is about the discipline of getting the job done. Um, I think that for me, if a leader can do that, um, a leader can ensure that their vision doesn't stay on um, paper and it actually becomes a lived reality for the people that they've promised the vision to. I love how you also spoke about uh, the disposition of getting people to be able to see their role in the vision, which is the fourth level of leadership, which is people development. And 
but the ability to be able to, to give people that, you know, inner courage to see their role in the vision clearly puts you in a position where you say you're thinking about the people. Because if you're not thinking about the people, you wouldn't see that or make that happen. I really enjoyed speaking to you. I'd speak to you for hours on end. What would be the last thing that you would say um, to our community of leaders? Any person who is, or, or, or somebody who doesn't believe they're a leader. Let me put it like that. Somebody who doesn't believe they're a leader, who's watching this, who's who's like, where am I going to start with this whole leadership thing that they're speaking about? How do I fit in this leadership concept? Mm. It's a beautiful question. And thank you for the opportunity to close on that. And my core belief is that we're all leaders. Um, but your exercise of leadership starts with yourself. Um, I think in business school, they call it self-leadership. And oftentimes it's, it's little things that we begin to, um, we that can give us the opportunity to lead ourselves. You have full control about how you show up around people. So how do you lead yourself in such a way that you are always mindful about your lights and your shadows? So when I talk about lights and shadows, everybody's got character traits that are positive and negative in certain contexts. And as, a, as somebody who's got a degree of self-leadership, you're always mindful about, am I casting a shadow? or my bringing light. So another really simple thing. How do you honor people's time? Um, and people don't really um, you know, take that seriously. It's the first sign of self-leadership. Are you able to hold yourself to the discipline of showing up on time and making sure that you honor people's time and being able to exercise that as a leadership trait? Um, it's small things like taking control uh, of your own narrative. So how do, you, how do you make sure that the conversations you're having with self are constructive, that they're building you before you start even listening to conversations that people are having with you about you. And when those conversations happen, how do you how do you exercise your leadership and draw boundaries and be able to say, no, that's not me. Um, you haven't described me correctly. Let me let me help you understand who I am. So I think before we go out and lead people in the world, we need to lead ourselves within. And oftentimes those are small little things where we choose um, our leadership brand, how we want to be experienced, and we execute against that. We, we ensure that we experience in a particular way. We're mindful of our lights. We're mindful of our shadows. We know how to honor time. We know how to also give people the honoring of time. Um, we are just conscious about how we want to be experienced. For me, that is the first sign of being a leader. And then you build the muscle. And so it's really easy to teach other people or to go out and be to other people what you are already to yourself. It's very difficult to try and be to other people what you're not to yourself. You can't lead people and expect that they're going to be disciplined if you're not disciplined with yourself as a starter.